0: on the record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today.
1: Hello, I'm Lisa Hudak. As CFO of Kittles, my goal when searching for a new technology partner was to make a long-term strategic investment. In today's market, you aren't just buying software, you're investing in innovation, in partnership, in customer experience. Converting a legacy top 100 system is no easy task, but the store's team was definitely up to the challenge. Beyond their technical expertise, they were attentive to our every need. They helped us with the daunting task of change management. And they led us every step of the way with a keen understanding of the retail furniture industry. At Kittles, our customer experience, our special order merchandising strategies, and our business intelligence initiatives set us apart. We position Kittles now with modern technology to facilitate our growth. Discover more on stores.com today.
0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest this week is Sam Blessing, CEO and founder of Bear Ogilvy. Sam, thanks for joining us. Tell folks who may not know, what is Bear Ogilvy?
2: Bear Ogilvy is an e-commerce technology company that helps manufacturers and wholesalers sell their products on today's most popular marketplaces.
0: So you are a millennial we talked about that uh you you just before we went on air you were telling me about all of the the effort you've put into being technologically ready for this podcast um you're a millennial and the ceo of a startup what is that like how does how does someone at your age 26 years old start his own company
1: um
2: that's a good question and honestly i think it has to do with a bit of luck a bit of right place, right time, and also just a deep-seated curiosity. Um, asking questions and wanting to find answers to those questions can sometimes only uh, happen through uh, through your own company. And that's kind of how I started Bear and how we are where we are today. Uh, those kind of three things. So what questions did you ask? So... I never thought I would ever be in furniture let alone home furnishings or this industry. I worked in finance. Uh, after I finished college, I worked in, uh, in real estate investment banking. And somehow I was kind of thrust in front of, you know, the furniture industry. I, I was I was brought down to High Point Market as a spectator a couple years ago in my even earlier 20s. And what I noticed walking around the trade show back in you know, 2015, 2016 was that there wasn't a lot of mention of e-commerce, particularly cross marketplace e-commerce, Amazon, Wayfair, Jet.com, you know, the sites that we know and love. So I started asking questions like, why aren't you selling on these marketplaces? Um, what's it going to take to sell on these marketplaces? And lastly, you know, uh, uh, would you like to if there was a really easy way to do it?
0: What was the answer when you asked people, why aren't they selling on these these marketplaces? um, Was it a question of, because when we think of the furniture industry, we think of certain territoriality, right? One of the challenges that manufacturers wrestle with as they attack e-commerce is how do we... how do they approach e-commerce without alienating their existing customer base did that come up in the discussion or was it really more about um it's too hard it's technologically difficult we don't know how what was the answer you got when you asked people why they weren't selling e-commerce
2: i got both a lot early on and I, i know i noticed trends and i started noticing that there was a huge aversion to manufacturers and wholesalers wanting to cannibalize their existing brick and mortar business. So you, you Bill, you totally nailed it. They were, uh, for lack of a better term, not scared, but cautious. And and brick and mortar uh, is what built their businesses. It's what has kept many of the businesses around for multiple generations. So that was the first concern. You now it was how do we, how do we, you know, increase our revenue through this really cool growing channel without throwing away. You know, the foundation of what's built us to what we are today. So that was the first thing. The second part of that was okay, once we figure out how to do that without infringing on our existing business, what does it look like to actually scale on these sites? Do we hire a team internally, right? And if we do hire a team, do we find the people that actually have the expertise to do it? Um, Do we have the data? And we started realizing that the data was actually a huge part of that problem. And I, I'm happy to talk more about why that data matters. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's built my life around it the last two years.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about the data. Um, but first, I'd like to talk about how did you address the cannibalization question?
2: So uh, fundamentally, um, e-commerce uh, is like the free market. Um, there are really no borders right you can't have a rep per state or per territory you know it's borderless you can buy the same product on amazon in new york as you can in california and ultimately branding also isn't as important on e-commerce marketplaces as you would initially suspect when i first started bear I, i started diving into any bit of reading I could about this industry. And I started reading Wayfair's, you know, SEC annual reports. And I read overstock.com's annual filing and in these reports. And I can actually like send you some of these from early on later, if you'd like. I started reading the factors that mattered most to, you know, e-commerce consumers in 2016 and 2017 and onwards. And brand recognition was not a top three, top four, top five place on those lists. It was price it was how quick can it ship it was how is the actual web page presented is it easy to navigate and 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 what are the reviews like so we quickly realized that brand recognition might play a huge part in you know brick and mortar retail where you're walking and you you recognize a lazy boy or or an ashley or all these these household names but e-commerce it's almost like a free for all, anyone, you know, uh, David can Trump Goliath when you're on Amazon.
0: Okay. So let's talk now about that, that data question when you mention and you use the term data, because anytime you talk to the technology company, the word data comes up. What exactly are we talking about when we say data, what kind of data?
2: Um, that's a good one, and I'm happy to jump into that immediately because data is like the most ubiquitous term thrown around today. It's almost as ubiquitous as the term millennials, right? You hear millennials, you hear data, um, and 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 at the end of the day, um, for us, data is the driving force behind being able to scale your e-commerce business. I'm gonna what, take a step. Can I take yeah, a step go back? Ahead.
0: Yeah,
2: please Except, do. So before I explain like what the data is, because there's many types of data, there's heights, widths, dimensions, but there's also more complicated parts to it that matter a lot. Typically speaking with any manufacturer and wholesaler across industries and categories, doesn't matter if you're a furniture manufacturer or you're the producer of high-end cosmetics, uh, data lives in multiple places around your organization. Right. Very often in your financial side of the company will have your pricing, your margins, you know, any tariff related fees. Um, Your merchandising team will have the copy, the content, you know, the the, the, what manufacturers would call the romance. And very often the operations or the manufacturing arm that is responsible for the production of the goods. They have the specs, you know, the heights, widths, dimensions, box volumes, carton information. And sometimes in bigger organizations, you know, the legal arm or in-house counsels will hold, you know, uh, legislation requirements. Can you sell a product in California based on certain requirements as opposed to can you sell it in Florida? So data isn't in one spot. It lives everywhere in many formats with many people.
0: That sounds to me like a big challenge and, and a big hurdle to clear. So if companies are not already organizing and consolidating that data, I mean, what did you find? Are, are companies prepared to have that? Do they have that? all? Can they get that all in one place? How to go from being in all of those locations to an usable place?
2: So... First of all, it's so complicated and and ultimately what I have started to say to my friends jokingly when we have dinners or we hang out or even, you know, lately watching the NBA Finals because my Raptors actually have a chance this year, which is crazy. Um, Side note.
0: As we record this 2-1 lead. (laughs) 2-1
2: lead, watching the game tonight. You know, the last time any Toronto team has done anything successful was in 93 when I was one years old. So I'm praying that something happens tonight. You know, go up. But anyway I, I, I don't mean to go off topic bill I'm just incredibly excited and uh, I'm happy to be on the call with you and this podcast but to answer the question and what I say to my friends is my life is complicated so my clients' lives don't have to be um, it's not easy to gather this data a lot of the data that we're looking for um, isn't as simple and as straightforward as you'd expect so Can I give you some examples of, like, what kind of stuff we would look for? Okay, so fundamentally, you want your heights, you want your widths, you want your descriptions, you want, you know, the basic information that any brick-and-mortar retailer or, you know, sales rep on the road would want. But when it comes to e-commerce, when it comes to the very marketplaces that drive this industry forward, they're not looking for 15, you know data points wayfair is looking for hundreds amazon is looking for hundreds overstock is looking for at the minimum 125 data points um, can you even think of 50 data points when it comes to a sofa off the top of your head like no and neither can i and that's the problem um as if you dig into it we can find them and it's stuff like you know uh is your recliner, you know, zero wall clearance? What's the actual seat width? But what kind of foam density, you know, what kind of leather, are there multiple colors? And as you start going into the depths, the amount of data you could pull about a single product is tremendous. And getting this all in one place where you can very easily deploy it into all these different formats is super complicated. And it's what we have kind of wrapped our heads around for the last two years. And we have figured out where to look for it. We know where it lives. We know how to extrapolate it. And we also ultimately know how to use it to its best potential.
0: So tell me about the process of taking uh, a, a manufacturer's data and their products and getting them on marketplaces.
2: Okay, absolutely fundamentally first thing we do we 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 kind of want to understand you know where does the data live and and that starts with an you know just an initial phone call to ask ask our ask the manufacturer or you know Talk to them as another human, not as a data source, not as a client, just, just, you know, who's responsible for what, you know, you get on the call with the owner, you get on the call with, you know, the VP of sales, perhaps, you know, a lead merchandiser. And over the course of like half an hour, you quickly can figure out, you know, who owns what. And then we ask, you know, send it to us. And by way of an email within, you know, 30 minutes, sometimes we have that data and sometimes it's in multiple formats and we will dive into it and, Pretty much, it's a data due diligence process. We are very efficient with some, you know, some incredible automation where we can kind of pull things from PDFs and Excel documents. And we turn it into what we like to call a BLT. Um, and it's a bit of a play on the sandwich, but it's it's, it's a bare language template. It's, it's our internal universal format of data. And once we have that filled out, um, we push it through our pipeline and it gets populated you know, into Amazon's format perfectly, and then overstocks and wayfares and so on and so forth. Um, but the process is really straightforward because we know where to look. But it took us over two years to figure out where to look. Um, I have a good analogy, if that's okay. Yeah, please go to the doctor. And within moments, a doctor or a physician can diagnose you for a very simple strep throat or a fever. It's not because... You know, it's very complicated for them. They went to school for this. They spent many years learning where to look and can diagnose quick. And we're very, very similar at Bear in the sense that we know where to look for the data um, because we've seen it so many times. And if any manufacturer were to come to me and just ask me straight up, where can I find this information? What should I do with it? I could probably just tell them very quickly without even knowing the internal workings of the organization.
0: So once you have the data, what are the other the next steps? How does that process proceed to selling on a marketplace?
2: Uh, yes, yes. So, you know, uh, the, the, typically what I have seen across the industry, and this, is, this really amazed me early on in my foray into the home furnishings industry and talking to manufacturers and owners and CEOs early, early on, is that I noticed a set it and forget it model. Manufacturers were listing their catalog on on, on websites, uh, popular websites with huge upside potential, but no one was actively managing it. It was the, the products were set and they would return every quarter, maybe to see what was going on. Perhaps they would refresh their catalog. A lot of manufacturers don't even discontinue SKUs that are no longer available. So once a catalog has been published, that's, how, that's the terminology we use, you have to actively manage it. And, that's a combination of you know just pure human expertise, like smart people that understand e-commerce, where to look and what to do. But it's also a lot of tools. Um, if you're managing you know catalogs of hundreds or thousands of products uh, across marketplaces, and you have to manage promotions, deals, you know opt-ins. Uh, Way day, prime day, you can't manually do it line by line. So we on a you know, weekly, daily, sometimes even quarterly basis for, for partners will automatically make suggestions and populate them uh, on, a, on an ongoing basis. So it's not stale and everything is refreshed consistently.
1: According to Boston Retail Partners, 94% of retailers have or plan to implement a unified commerce platform within three years. Retailers understand the importance of technology to gain a competitive advantage. At Storis, we understand that a conversion can be challenging, but our experienced team is a true partner in the process. Planning, communication, goal setting, and collaboration are hallmarks of hundreds of retailer conversions successfully completed by the Storis team including three top 100 retailers in Q2 of 2019. If you're ready to make a strategic technology change, Storus is the industry's trusted partner. Learn more at Storus.com today. I'm Caitlin Jaszewski. Thanks for listening.
0: One of the challenges that I've heard manufacturers express, and this this often relates to keeping up with product photography is that um, catalogs change, new products change, everything happens so quickly that it becomes a real challenge to kind of um, keep things updated. In terms of working on those marketplaces, those are very visually driven marketplaces. How does photography play into that? How does your system interact with uh, the manufacturer's systems? What's the... the what does that role look like, and how do you keep all of that? How does the manufacturer keep all of that up fresh uh, at the speed of at which their their product changes?
2: So, Bill, within that question, which started about you know how do you how do you maintain fresh photography or, or you know in, in in season photography, you asked another question that I actually find much more interesting. And much more pertinent. So, if it's okay with you, can I just pull on that little question on the inside first? And there were actually
0: probably three or four. Questions <laughs> there, were, there in, were, in oh, there. So, there, you, oh. you pick the one you want to answer. We'll start there, and then I'll circle back. Thanks, back Bill. And
2: yeah, and if, if, from if, lots of angles. Thank you, Bill. And if I'm not answering what you want to hear, just hammer back, and I will. Uh, I'll do my best. Um,
0: oh, trust me, I'm not shy.
2: <laughs> thanks, Bill. So, the most interesting thing that I, I noticed in that question was 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 the speed of e-commerce. Marketplaces change. The, 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 the data requirements are changing on a weekly, sometimes quarterly basis. So if you're not keeping up with that, um, you might have to like honestly rebuild the way you're publishing. Um, uh, catalogs at manufacturers change literally as fast as the next market comes around. Uh, I'll talk to a company in 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 the spring during high point market in, in April and by the time they're even ready to publish their catalog from April it's already, you know, Vegas July market. They haven't even had the time to come back down to earth and catch their breath before it's the next market and the next catalog and the next wave of products. So how do you how do you actually deal with that? It's kind of like when you clean up your garage. If you let your garage get dirty over the course of the winter, your April cleanup is going to be tremendous. But if you're able to every single time you use something in your garage, put it back in its place immediately or find a spot for the new things you're buying every single time come April, you're going to have a perfectly organized garage. And that's our approach. And that's what we believe manufacturers should be doing when it comes to e-commerce every time a new catalog you know, hits your warehouse or gets produced in your factory, those products should be live and listed on all the sites you wanna be on. So the next batch has a clean slate to start with. And the only way to do that is to have either a fully dedicated team or a really high level of automation.
0: So how does the manufacturer keep up with that? Is that some, I mean, is that something to, you know once you get on this marketplace, does that in, involve then a very the, the creation of a very large team or a lot of work on the manufacturer's part, or is that something that technologically you are equipped to take care of for them?
2: Yeah, we're totally equipped at Bear to to handle, you know, the life cycle of the company from initial onboarding all the way through to scaling their business to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a month on all these marketplaces. But we're not the only option. You know, a lot of major corporations, you know, they'll build their own e-commerce team internally and they'll use, you know, they'll use a bit of our tools and a bit of our expertise along the way or sometimes offboard all of it. Um, uh, Typically speaking, the way to really grow an e-commerce business requires a bit of an investment upfront, a bit of investment of time, capital, resources, and putting the right people and processes in place that can that can kind of help you as you scale. And that could be, you know, using you know some tech tools. It could be using a company like Bear, which I'm very proud, you know, very proud to to be part of this industry and, and offer that to companies. Or ultimately you can you can build up your own team slowly but carefully. Um, but just make sure that the, you know, the person that's in charge of this team you know, really knows what they're doing and has the chops to take care of it.
0: Is there a certain size and scale that a company has to achieve before they can begin to think about competing in that kind of marketplace?
2: No, not at all. Uh, Small companies, you know, that are just starting out have an amazing opportunity to, to have their products listed among the goliaths of the industry. Uh, if you're a, if you're a furniture startup and you, you just just opened up, you know your first warehouse, and you only have a couple of SKUs and a couple of stock, if your data is good, your content is great, your photography uh, your photography sorry um, is 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 you know best in class. There is no reason why you can't be listed next to the industry leading products. Doing that in a brick and mortar store might be significantly more complicated. So, um, it's actually a great way to start, and a lot of companies see it as a huge obstacle, which it is in terms of sophistication and you know requirements. But once you're up and running, and you have it organized, and you have it you know streamlined, um, it's an incredible, incredible revenue channel that just
0: incrementally grows as as you do. Hey, you, um, you mentioned. A couple of caveats there that I think are probably typically obstacles, right? So if your photography is best in class, if your data is already organized, basically, if you have all your stuff together, then you can match with so you can compete against. But what if you don't have all of that? Ah,
2: yes, absolutely.
0: Right. So what are those steps that you need to to get lined up
2: before you can even play in that game? And that's like the 1%. The 1% has all those assets ready. And that's rare. Most companies will have some of that kind of ready to go, but a lot of it is missing. Uh, a typical a typical example would be an early case study at Bear. One of the first clients we ever, ever we ever had in, in the fall of, you know, in the fall of 2017, we brought them on pretty early on. Um, their photography was incredible, but they lacked everything else. Now, they didn't have the bandwidth or the resources or the expertise to really spend a lot of time and resources and even, even you know, uh, automation on getting their data centralized and organized and published or getting their inventory feeds set up in a way that the e-commerce marketplaces can read them. So we took all that off their plate. And because we did so, their team now only had one task to focus on, it was to, you know, tweak their photography a little bit, focus on their packaging. And because they handed all the complicated stuff off, their to-do list went from 10 to three. And that all of a sudden was really manageable for a company whose core focus was producing the product and not, and not you know, using the data to sell the product. Um, so it's a partnership. Um, and for companies that don't have the assets available, my, my honest advice as a as someone who's looking at this industry from e-commerce perspective it's it's step by step make your list and start with the most important things and if that means packaging improve your packaging if that means you know opening up a warehouse so you have in stock products do that and then get to your photos and then get to your data maybe one day hire you know an e-commerce manager
0: Hmm. so it sounds like Uh, this is a lot like getting yourself positioned for any new business model or any new business venture, Um, lay the foundation, get the groundwork done, and then you're ready to to start to build from there.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I hope that wasn't a $10, you know, answer for a 10 cent question. Um, I'm in the weeds in this thing. So if you ask me an e-commerce question, I can very easily go off and really get into the, get really nitty gritty with it. So I hope that wasn't too uh, too intense of of an answer for, which I could have just said, you know, Plan, plan it. Make a list. Prioritize.
0: Well, let me say this to our audience who is listening. If you have follow-up questions, please email me, bmclaughlin at furnituretoday.com. And whether it's this podcast or any of our other podcasts, we'll be happy to follow up with um, with our guests. And um, We'll put him back in the hot seat, put him back in the chair and ask him more questions. So I presume that you'd be willing to accept follow-up questions.
2: I would love follow-up questions. I'm happy to answer anything and I'm always happy to talk e-commerce, the industry, data with anyone. I mean, people reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time just to have a cup of coffee, you know, whether I'm in New York or Toronto or on the West Coast, just to talk e-commerce. And, and I often get it from manufacturers in, in, in categories that are so obscure and, and they, just want to, you know, they just want to scale their business and they want my thoughts on it. They want to hear our perspectives and-
0: you know. What about retailers? What if a retailer wants, because I mean, Amazon, uh, even Walmart, um, there, are, you know, there are retail sellers uh, in their marketplace. What if a retailer wants to expand their bandwidth and reach a broader audience? Um, can they play in that game?
2: Absolutely, we are client agnostic. And beyond bear, yes, they can play in that game. Um, anyone, any person, any organization can access cross-marketplace e-commerce. And that's the beauty of it. It's twenty nineteen, it's it's open access, it's sharing information, it's it's the free market in, in the sense that c- the best product takes home the cake. And there's a rule that we've noticed in e-commerce is that first place is fundamentally and exponentially further ahead in terms of sales and reviews than second place. And then third and fourth and fifth kind of follow uh, in, 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 a, in a more progressive way. So to take that first place position, you don't have to be a manufacturer. You can be a retailer. You can be a third party seller You know, out of your garage in Seattle. It doesn't matter. And that's the crazy cool thing about e-commerce. Um, so, uh, it's a beautiful market to be in and uh, I think we're just at the tip of it. Um, we're going to look back that's 20 that's we're going to look yeah, we're going to look back 20 years from now, Bill, and be amazed at how how little we've done at this point in 2019 so far.
0: Well, I'm sure that all the manufacturers and retailers who are listening to this were really happy with that last sentence, that anybody can compete with them out of their garage. I'm sure that's a lot of comfort from guys who are already squeezed in this business.
2: Yeah, and obviously, obviously you know, more established organizations that manufacture the products. Yes, they'll do fantastic because they are the source of the actual goods. But the example that I was trying to make is that, you know, this isn't this isn't 1980 anymore. This isn't nineteen ninety, where you have to, you know, have a tremendous capital expenditure and open up a store to be a successful, you know, client-facing organization. Um, when I started Bear Ogilvy, we we were out of a basement in Toronto and we were transacting hundreds of pieces of furniture a week. Um, and that is the perfect example. We were able to do it out of our own little garage, pretty much.
0: All right. Well, thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. And uh, I would encourage our listeners, if they have more questions, to reach back out to us and, um, and we'll get a dialogue going with Sam and, and we'll explore. I mean, this is this is kind of a, a new frontier. And so uh, I think this will be the first of many such conversations. We're going to start uh, picking up the pace in the technological discussion. So thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Bill, it's
2: my absolute pleasure. And before we digress, I'd love to mention two quick things, if that's okay with you. Sure, please do. My team and I, we were having a fantastic conversation over our our Friday team lunch, and we came up with an alternate name for your podcast. Can we throw it at you? Of course. Yeah, please do. (laughs) We thought it'd be fantastic to uh to call it uh between the cushions
0: <laughs> you know maybe we'll create something new and and use that name absolutely thanks so much
2: for your time thanks for having me on this podcast and uh i'd be more than happy to take questions and you know further discussion because at the end of the day i'm 26 and i'm not going
0: anywhere well thanks so much sam it's been a pleasure talking to you thanks bill have a great weekend you too bye-bye now bye